Hello, and welcome to Imprinted Echoes, a family-friendly Numenera actual play podcast. My name is Zan, and I'll be your GM. Thank you for joining us today, and as always, we hope you're staying safe and healthy. Hopefully you're all in the mood for something a little bit different yet again. This is the second of two interstitial episodes before we begin Season 2. This episode is a mechanics talk. As you all know, Numenera uses the cipher system. And while I know some of you know the rule set very well, and many others have probably picked up on at least the basics of it, we thought it would be nice to finally go over all of the specifics. We do spend a little bit of time comparing it to some other commonly played TTRPG systems, just to give people a frame of reference. But we do go over a lot of the details of how this game is played and how the different mechanics interact with each other. So join us as we discuss the Cypher system. Welcome back to yet another not game episode <laughs> of Imprinted Echo. Welcome. Welcome. Anyway, today we are going to talk a little bit about the cipher system, how it applies to Numenera, how we use the system and how it plays out for us on this podcast. I know that's something that a number of listeners have talked about is wanting to know a little bit more about the system, how it works and the uh, mechanics of this particular game. I consider just kind of like talking at you all for uh, a little bit of time and going through and explaining things. And while I do consider myself a good teacher and public speaker, I, it would be a little bit more interesting to have this be a conversation between the players and myself to talk about how we interact with these mechanics. So at its base, the Cypher system is a D20 system. You are rolling a 20-sided die to determine the outcome of various things within the game. There are times where you might use a D6 or a D100, most primarily when it comes to rolling things for Cyphers and rolling for recovery rolls, which we will cover later. But for the most part, we're almost always using a D20. And I think what's interesting about this is that the one thing that I had to drive home at any time that I have anyone new playing this game that I have to drive home is that it is not a add the modifier to your roll. You have to think about what it is you're going to be doing ahead of time because once you roll, that's your number. Mm -hmm. So talking a little bit about task difficulty, should I explain it? We can open the floor to how you all interact with it. Sure. Yeah. That sounds okay. good. So you often hear me say that something is a particular level of difficulty. I'm going to be giving the players a number between 1 and 10. There is a chart that is included with most of the playing materials. A level 0 task, meaning that you don't have to roll anything. It's routine. Anyone could do this at basically any time. Like, I would never make anyone roll to walk down the street to pick up an object. Where something at a level 1 would be relatively simple. Most people can do this most of the time. It's going to be pretty solid that you're going to be able to accomplish this. And then it kind of goes up the way to level 10 is uh, a task that is considered to be impossible, something that almost any human, a normal person, would not even consider the chance or ability to do this, something that could even be like God tier of things. doesn't necessarily need to like break any laws of science or physics or anything, but like someone will look at it and be like, that's impossible. What are you thinking? The difference though is what you roll. So that is a level one through 10 is your level, but your roll is three times that level. So if I give someone a level one task, 
They have to roll a three or better. If I give someone a level two task, roll a six or better, which means that as you get up the way, I know there's been a couple times where I've given people like a level seven task. It's a 21. That's impossible to roll on a D20. So that's where it starts to become more about trying to decrease that level. There's a number of ways that you can decrease the level before you roll. And I think that's the difference here is that it's not a add your modifier, try to beat a number. It's try to roll this thing, but you have to decrease the difficulty of it before you roll because the roll is all you have. What was kind of like the moment of unlocking the system for me was that I realized, because I come from D&D specifically 3.5 and 5th edition. It's essentially everything that you do from attacking to knowledge checks or anything. It's all a Dungeons and Dragons difficulty check. It's all a DC. And what you are doing, you are not trying to increase your modifier. You are trying to make that DC lower. Everything you're doing is about driving that number down so that you can make that number possible and ideally likely to hit unless you are me rolling on roll 20. (laughs) (laughs) You have said it before, but roll 20 is the unintentional fourth character Mm -hmm. on the show because holy cow. Yep. (laughs) The number of ones that you have rolled. Yep. Yep. Well, that's the thing that I find really interesting on the one hand, is that even with a difficulty level of one, there are still, if you roll a one or a two, that is a failure. Like you will always, unless you are able to bring it down, one or two is always a fail, no matter what level it's at. But you do have the possibility of bringing the level down far enough that you automatically pass. Yeah, correct. You can can create a level zero check for you, which is You know, there is a cost to that, probably, Mm -hmm. but depending on what the situation is, it is frequently worth doing. Right. If it's something that it's like, okay, we really like even if it's low level and it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, we absolutely can't afford not to pass this. You can just spend everything you can to get it down to the point where it's like, okay, this is automatic. It doesn't matter, which is kind of interesting as compared to something like D&D where it's like no matter what. And I've I've actually never been entirely clear on whether this is a part of D&D rules or if this is just the house rules I've always played with. But one is an automatic failure, like no matter what your modifier to it is. One depends is an automatic on the failure. Yeah, uh, I think depends it depends on the on group because there are I know this isn't a D&D thing, but there are some classes rogue specifically get an ability where it's like reliable talent or something like that, mm-hmm. where you can pick certain skills and no matter what you roll, it is treated as a 10. Right. Or like yeah. halflings can re-roll ones every time. Absolutely. Yeah. So depends on what you work. It really with. depends. Yeah. But that's that's kind of interesting that there is. There is an absolute, but there's also not the absolute where it's like, if you have to roll and you Mm -hmm. get a one, then it's always a failure. But if you can get it to a point where you don't have to roll, then it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And I think that listener beware, we're probably going to spend a little bit of time comparing this to D&D and like Mm -hmm. systems, because I know that's what a lot of our listeners are very familiar with and what a lot of us have a good chunk of our experience in as well. One of the things that has always kind of been a frustrating point for me with D&D is that no matter how good you are in a skill, Mm -hmm. you could roll so poorly that you fail it 
outright. Like, sure. you know, it's like, great, I'm phenomenal athletics. I have a plus six. I roll. And yeah, I could get like a 26 or I could get a seven. Yeah. And then someone who has a plus two could roll an 18 and do so much better than me. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about this like ability to, and we'll talk about how the difficulty is lowered, but you could lower a difficulty to the point be like, no, I'm really good at this thing. I can automatically do it because I've lowered the difficulty so far that like there's no reason for me to even roll. It just happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if I give someone a level one task, say it's in balance and... Smallren and Jory have to roll for it, but Nehemiah doesn't. Mm -hmm. So I think it kind of takes out that portion of something that you're very, very good at doesn't necessarily have as much of a chance of landing you in complete failure land. Mm -hmm. And it's still there depending on the role. Oh, yeah. For what it's worth, I think that might actually be a gap in how we play D&D. &D, That's Because I 100% like I have personally moving into the oh yeah no if you have over a certain amount in this you just succeed that's fair yeah that's fair like that is absolutely a valid way to play mm -hmm. yeah so let's talk about the ways that you can decrease mm -hmm. those difficulty levels there's kind of three main ways skills so if you're trained in a particular skill and we don't there is no like definitive list of skills there's suggestions for them mm -hmm. but you can create a skill set as we have heard small Rin do so many times can i use espionage <laughs> <laughs> i'm still shocked you let me take that as a skill to begin with <laughs> i you know you are so we, very good to me and i don't deserve we, it. We all, we've all made mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and because the funniest thing about that is I have both espionage and I'm a jack, so I get a flex skill. So once yeah. a day, I can be trained in anything I want. Yeah. So if you are trained in a skill, you have the ability to lower something by one level. So again, I, I made the mention of Nehemiah and balance. It was a balance task. Nehemiah could automatically lower any balance task by one level. There's also, and I'll briefly touch on this, you can also have an inability mm -hmm. in a skill which actually hinders you or makes the task one higher. A lot of times the inabilities that people start with are based on their parts of their character sentence so like an inability in social interactions or you mm -hmm. might have an inability in lying or, or persuasion or you might have an inability in dexterity and speed-based things it can also be based on type like i'm a yeah smaller was a jack and so that meant that she had an inability in heavy weapons because there wasn't ever going to be a scenario where a jack would be as good with heavy weapons as someone like glaive you could build a jack who was a melee fighter, but if you wanted to be like super good with any type of hand-to-hand -hand weaponry, you really wanted to be playing a glaive. Right. And basically it hinders at one. So there is that within there. And there are ways to change that as you go through, but doesn't often come up. And I know we've mentioned it a couple of times, but it's less on the forefront, I think, than using the skills to help lower that. So you have skills you can use to lower it. There's also assets, which are very situational. I know we often treated Smallrin's mentor book as mm -hmm. an asset. I've treated positive social interactions as an asset in particular cases. I know there's some abilities that give you a free asset. Yeah, I've got at least one ability where I it's not free necessarily. You usually spend okay. points for it. But I have, um, where is it? 
I just saw it. Intense interaction. I could spend three intellect points and gain an asset on a very specific situation. Or sometimes it'll just be like you have a group of people or someone fighting with you and I'll give you an asset to a certain thing or... It's kind of like the help action, sort of. Yeah, similar to that. Or eventually, you know, it's like, okay, you, you guys have been doing this particular thing. This has been the core idea of what you've been working on. Anytime I ask you to roll this from now on, I'm going to give you an asset. The difficulty stays the same. I'm not lowering the difficulty. I'm just saying, all right, you have a better chance of hitting it because of your knowledge with it, the time that you've spent learning. And then the last way is probably the most confusing. I'd like to spend a decent chunk of time on this is applying effort. Applying effort is where you spend points from your pools, which again, we'll touch on, but you, you spend points from your pools to try and lower that particular difficulty. The idea is that you are pushing yourself a little bit farther. You are, again, putting effort, extra effort into that particular task. If you decide to spend effort, you take three points out of whatever pool is appropriate. What gets into the more confusing territory is edge. Mm-hmm. If you have edge in that particular stat, in that pool, it lowers the total amount of effort points that you are spending by one. So, for example, pretty sure Smallrin has edge in intellect. Mm -hmm. So if Smallrin were to put effort, a level of effort against an intellect task and spend three points from her intellect pool... She has an edge in that particular skill, an edge over whatever task it might be. One is taken off the top of that total. So instead of spending three points, she'd spend two. Edge is a cost regulator. Edge reduces the cost. Applying effort to something was a stable, I know, specifically for Nehemiah. Mm -hmm. He tries so hard. Mm -hmm. Dice just hate him. It's just the beginning and end of the story, and it's fine. (laughs) Because it has created a lot of interesting situations. It has. Yeah. The numbers show up when they count. This is the thing. (laughs) He's not dead yet. Yet. Is there a point where you can spend more than one point of effort on a task? So we will eventually get to advancements and tiers and things like that. But one of the things you can choose in your character advancement is plus one to effort. So I know Nehemiah specifically has a two effort Mm -hmm. where he can spend two levels of effort. So... In that case, Nehemiah specifically, if we're talking about this, Mm -hmm. has a task. If he wants to spend two levels of effort, he would be able to decrease a task difficulty by two. Total, he would need to spend six points. Mm -hmm. But he has a two edge in, we'll say, might. He can then take two off the top. So he would only have to spend four for that particular amount of effort. Mm -hmm. When you apply effort, you subtract your relevant edge from the total cost of applying the effort. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. So it doesn't stack. It's just the, like, per time you're spending, even if it's for multiple points. Right. But here's the thing. When you apply multiple levels of effort, the first level costs three. Everything after that costs two. Oh. Oh. Interesting. Okay. So the edge only applies to that first level, essentially. And then the rest of it is a static two points per level. Yes and no. The edge applies to the entire total. Right. But like if for me, it's easier to think of it that way as like the edge only applies once. And so you'll apply it to that first, which is three. And then after that, it's just static two. 
And not that we'll ever get there, but where that gets a little bit messy is because technically that you can get up to tier six. Mm-hmm. And so if you choose plus one effort for each of those, you could apply six levels, which would eat up the entirety of that three, but then also continue to apply to further levels. Mm-hmm. New character goals. <laughs> I already screwed myself over because tier one, I did not take any points of effort, but... <laughs> yeah, so the first level is three points from your pool. After that, it's every two. So then effort would be five if you're applying two levels, seven if you're applying three levels. And then your edge, again, kind of eats away at that. Effort and edge are relatively similar terms. Mm -hmm. um, And I do appreciate the alliteration, but those do get a little bit confusing. And the Mm -hmm. numbers of that, there are some very crunchy parts of this game, and that's definitely one of them. Oh, yeah. And quick question, you can only have up to two points of edge in any given pool, correct? Or can you go all the way to three and make it essentially free? You can take plus one to edge at every tier. Oh, so you could like break this thing. As you get up to those tiers, I would be giving you level 10 difficulties right. once you hit tier six. Right. So, okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. And that's the idea is that as you continue to make tasks easier and easier, that is my trigger to start making Making those levels Mm -hmm. harder and higher. Yeah. Cool. So we've talked a lot about spending from pools. And this is one of the bigger departures from a lot of other TTRPGs is that your stats, rather than being a static number have a pool, a a maximum number of points you can have at any given time that you then spend from, not only to power your abilities, but also serve as your hit points. So your three stats are intellect, speed, and might. Intellect being just about any mental or social task. And I will say that I personally kind of wish that it was split into four rather than three because intellect kind of starts becoming a very wide catch-all that is a bit too much of a broad stroke. Kind of wish that there was like a split between like interpersonal interactions Mm. and like book knowledge, whatever that might end up being played out. But the kind of the same way that like might and speed are kind of split up. It's not just physical. Right. Right. Um, Like might, speed, intellect, charisma kind of thing. Right. Regardless, though, the three pools, the bases of them are determined by your type, and then you can get some to spend as you will, and then your various other portions of the the character creation might give you other points as well. And you can add points to those pools as you level up your character. There is a distinct ability to either spread out your points as you need or to min-max, kind of in the same way that, like, ability scores... You have that ability to kind of spread things out and decide which ones are going to be your your best or worst uh, stats there as you continue to advance a character. But you can also take damage to those particular pools, and it is also what creates your ability to utilize the skills that you have, the different special abilities. One thing that I'm interested in, just because I don't know this about the other two people in the game, is do we want to talk real quick about like where each of us, what our max pools look like compared to the characters we're playing? Sure. Which might be 
kind of interesting. Well, I know you specifically kind of threw a lot into intellect. Oh, yeah. No, Smarin is like, you can't really max out. But like, if you can, she maxed out her intellect. And then very recently, I added a plus four to my speed. So might is very much her smallest pool. By quite a lot. By a lot. No. what, What are the numbers? Where we're sitting right now, might is a 10. This is my max pool. Might is a 10. Speed is 17, which just recently went up by four. Uh, And intellect is a 24. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, but that is also because one of my um, special abilities that I took very early on, which was part of my character creation, was something called genius, which is an enabler Mm -hmm. um, that increases intellect by five points. And then I also did take plus four to intellect as one of my early tier one advancements. Yeah. Jory's are um, max of might 12, speed 13, and intellect 18, so much smaller pools in general, comparatively. And even though I feel like she's kind of speedy, again, personality-wise, it's just ended up based on sort of the actual mechanics of things, the things that made sense were all intellect-based for the Mm -hmm. most part. Nehemiah is sitting at might and speed both at 15 and intellect at 14, so really incredibly balanced across yeah. all yeah. three and it's just i mean that that just kind of plays into how he goes it behooves him to kind of keep all of those in balance just to fill whatever role needs to be taken care of in the moment you're the glaive you're like you're the muscle but you're also mm-hmm. incredibly limber you are an acrobat but then you're also mm-hmm. the face your silver tongue so mm-hmm. it's just you have to be all the things all the time Yep. Yeah. If it's in there, I've not found it, but I, I've not seen in the actual like rule set and explanation of the pools, whether or not it's viewed this like way by the, the writers of the game. But I personally do not view these pools as a indication of actual like ability. It's not like, oh, well, you have a 14 intellect versus a 25 intellect. You're not as smart. It's the ability to apply yourself within that. It's a little bit of like what kind of energy and training do you have within that to make the thing happen more or to make it happen faster or better or whatever it might be. It's not necessarily saying like, oh, well, you're just not strong. It's a in the moment, can you apply your strength? Well, and also I think it's more about stamina than it is about ability because like Smallrin can spend intellect points much longer than anyone else can because she just has them. Like she can apply multiple points of effort to roll after roll after roll if she needs to, if it's intellect based, but like might, she might only be able to afford to apply a point, maybe two points of effort before it starts getting dangerous And she doesn't have that stamina for, like, really in-depth physical tasks. Sure. And then, of course, that becomes the the damage that I apply to you. More often than not, it ends up being might damage just because there's a lot of physical attacks. But I know there's a lot of intellect and speed damage type things as well. So there is a damage track, which we really didn't thoroughly get into until really the very end with Jory. But there is a damage track. And that track, rather than it being like your pool is out, you're dead, because there's three pools. If you have all of them up and you're fine, you're considered hail. If you have one pool at zero, you are considered impaired. If you have two pools at zero, you are considered debilitated. And if you have three pools at zero, you are considered dead. 
Now, there are ways to reverse that and change that. We haven't gotten to that point. I was going to say, it's um, not dead. It's dead asterisk. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. TBD. TBD. Now, it is very clearly... It is very much not unconscious. It's not like the down but able to be revived kind of thing. It is dead. But there are mechanical ways to alter that a a little bit if needed be. Mm -hmm. There are penalties to each of those. For example, with impaired, you can't benefit from certain roles, like special role benefits. And then you can also make recovery roles, which again, we, we did often enough, but it's not quite the same as what you might be used to with like short rest, long rest in, in D&D territory. So recovery roll is a D6, plus your tier, plus if you have added anything to that. So another advancement you can take is adding to your recovery roll. And then you can apply those points however you wish. So if you roll a D6 and you roll a 6 plus tier 1, you have 7 points to distribute throughout the course of your three pools as you deem necessary. The big difference is when you can take those rolls. Yeah, that was the thing that really tripped me yeah. up, that I was having trouble conceptualizing. So it's how long it takes you to rest each time. So the first one, it's just an action. You can do it right in the moment. Do I make an inside joke here? (laughs) The answer to that is always yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. A bit of a joke that we've had with our home game for years and years (laughs) at this point. We used to have in a couple of homebrew systems that we had, we used to have a similar kind of mechanic where you could regain some armor or hit points immediately within the course of a combat. And the the phrase we always use that makes absolutely no sense was, I'm going to shake out my armor. Oh, that's right. Oh, I just... Makes no sense. Nope. It doesn't apply to, like, actually mean anything. But it's the phrase we used. Um, and it was essentially the same thing. It was just a quick, like, in the moment, I'm going to recenter, recuperate, and, and try and get back on my feet. You mm-hmm. just unlocked a core memory. <laughs> <laughs> did you forget that? I, See, did. The funny I totally thing is, forgot that. I think that might have been before my time, because I actually don't remember that. Yeah. I think oh, it really? was. I, I think it was I, before I, think, I joined the group. I, th- I think it was during Summer Quest. Oh, but it was longer it's than that. Yeah, that, yeah. The, that too. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure somebody, I'm, at some point I may have heard it, but I don't remember that being like a mechanic that That's was ever fair. in any of the games I was in. The second recovery roll you make takes 10 minutes. So again, not feasibly like forever, but mm-hmm. definitely it can't be in the middle of combat. It can't be, uh, you know, in, in a moment where there's something very important happening. You do have to just take 10 minutes to like take a breather. After that... It takes an hour. You have to rest for like a good chunk of time. And after that, you rest for 10 hours. The idea is with that one, you are supposed to be sleeping. Mm -hmm. You do have to take a nice, long, overnight, or at least unconscious rest. (laughs) And after that, then your recovery actions swing back to the beginning of the cycle and you start back at one action. The way that I kind of ended up thinking about it is that everybody gets a you know taking it back into D&D terms everybody gets a second wind two short rests one of them is a longer short rest and then a long rest but the long rest is not a full recovery right that's kind of the big difference is that if you've had a bad day you can do all of these and still not be back to to 100 percent which is incredible narratively, but can be painful in the moment. Yeah. I, you know, we have already waxed long enough about my terrible role, <laughs> uh, but 
I have absolutely gone through the whole cycle of these and still been a point or two down in a couple of areas. Oh, yeah. Well, because when we did... Um, you fought the moral. You fought the jellyfish yes. thing in the wells beneath the city. And I don't think I ever recovered back to Max Pools after that. Like, I think I spent the rest of the time down at least a point or two in one if not two like i think i managed to get at least one of them all the way back up but yeah i don't i don't think she ever was at max after that like chase said narratively it, it's really great if you go really really hard on a particular task you feel it the next day even yeah. if you've taken a rest mm-hmm. i had that happen last week where i I helped Cassie with her set build on a Saturday and I went hard. Yep. I just went and did a whole bunch of stuff and I went home and I rested. Mm-hmm. I spent the, the rest of the day doing pretty much nothing. Took a nap, went to bed that night, woke up the next morning and still had a bunch of yard work to do. And I felt it. I didn't yep. have what I needed to do to like go the same level of hard that I did on that previous task. So narratively, it absolutely makes sense within the real world. But you're right. Mechanically, sometimes it is painful. Well, and it's, yep. it's interesting. It's <laughs> I just came up with this analogy and I'm very proud of it. If you think of Numenera versus D&D, which is what a lot of us at least have as our point of reference, D&D is like being in your early 20s, where you go to bed, (laughs) you wake up the next morning, and it is like nothing happened. All your spell slots are back. All of your hit points are back. You can jump right back in. You can fight a demigorgon. It's going to be fine. Uh Numenera is being in your 30s, where all of a sudden you go to bed and you wake up the next morning and you're not better. Like you're a little bit better. You you got some sleep. You got some fluids. You you hopefully mm-hmm. cuddled a small animal or a romantic partner or a squishmallow or a peapod <laughs> or a peapod or a peapod. But it is not always enough. <laughs> it's when naps become great again. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah very much so. Uh, at some point, you're going to have to post a picture of Peapod at least in the Discord if oh, not yeah. on Twitter oh, for yeah. people to understand exactly how cute that little thing oh, is. Yeah. <laughs> crashes you can also use recovery rolls and this did come up to just automatically bump yourself up a one of the damage track Mm. tiers yeah Mm -hmm. now granted as you put points back into your pools they'll automatically kind of follow that so like if you are at zero and one and you get even one point back into that you go back up the damage track but if you took special damage that like said you automatically regardless of your pools are going down the damage track, you can spend a recovery roll to just bump yourself back up uh, to impaired or hail or wherever it might be. (laughs) What? What? Just posted Peapod in in the Echoes chat. (laughs) No one one will have any context yet. I love it. (laughs) No, I'm aware. I, I, If I didn't do it, I was going to forget. And now everybody has a preview. <laughs> Excellent. Or should I remove it? Can I remove no, it? No, 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 no. no, no. Okay. The Leave lack it. of context makes it fantastic. Leave it. And then That's everyone, fair. everyone, once they listen to this. So yeah, yes. everyone, this yeah. is what posted weeks ago <laughs> at this point. I'm, I'm going to say this will become relevant. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Yes. So talking about how you all take damage, let's mm-hmm. talk a little bit about combat. 
then sure. um, and how combat works. For the most part, it's relatively the same as you might expect in most TTRPGs where there's an enemy, you roll to see if you hit the enemy, and then you do some damage to the enemy. The specifics of it are a little bit different. So just like everything else, the each enemy has a difficulty rating. Mm-hmm. And if anyone is interested, I will happily go on about the absolutely genius way that Monty Cook Games has laid out their bestiaries and the narrative way in which they are presented and how mechanically they have a synergy there. But every enemy that you might face has a difficulty level, which also congruent with their health. But I give you the level. You try to decrease it if you'd like. You roll to see if you hit and we go from there. Something that I haven't mentioned, though, up until this point, though, I I think is relatively obvious. The GM does not make any roles in this Mm -hmm. game. Nope. So when it comes to combat, I'm not making roles against the characters. They're simply making defense roles against the number that I'm continuing to give them. And then there's also no role for damage. Mm -hmm. Damage is static unless you have armor, which would lower the damage. Uh, But that's all that armor does. Yeah. Damage is entirely based on the weapon that you're wielding. Mm-hmm. So a light weapon does two, medium weapon does four, heavy weapon does six. The possibility for extra damage to be added on with abilities. There are some abilities that will tack on extra damage or with special rolls. I think you all have beat to death the uh, plus however many damage bit there. But if you do roll certain numbers, we've talked about how a one is kind of automatic failure. You get a GM intrusion. I make something awful happen or something unexpected. I shouldn't say awful, Mm -hmm. often awful, but unexpected. However, if you roll a 17 in combat, you get plus one damage, 18 plus two, 19 plus three, and 20 plus four. Mm -hmm. 19 and 20 also have the ability to give you major or minor effects, little things that the players can insert to make things a little bit more in their favor but you can get extra damage with special rolls as well. Otherwise, it's not like you're rolling a particular die to determine a certain amount of damage. It is static with a handful of modifiers that might add on based on the situation. So a character's level determines Mm -hmm. both attack and defense rolls for fighting that. Correct. Creature's level. Yes, yes. Is there anyone where it would be like, oh, this creature is much harder to hit than it is to avoid? Yes. Okay. The same way that you all have skills where a task can be automatically lowered by one, the NPC or enemy equivalent of that is saying that treat this particular task as one level higher or one level lower. Okay. Swarms of insects typically say treat attack rolls as one level higher because it's hard to hit a bunch of insects with a sword. Yeah. Whereas there are other things where it might be like, you know, treat attack rolls as one level lower because it's an incredibly slow creature. Right. Okay. And they can also have armor or other abilities that might help or hinder particular tasks against it. So yeah, there are ones that could be harder to hit or defend from or whatever it might be based on the specifics of that creature and is usually listed out as like a treat it one higher or one lower than the actual number listed. So we have mentioned it a lot up until this point, but experience and leveling and the way that characters advance 
works a little bit differently than you would have in D&D comparisons. It works a little bit differently than some other systems. Obviously, I provide XP to the players when certain things happen. I can provide it for like really cool moments or for completing particular tasks or hitting certain levels in the story arc. And I will admit, I need to be better about doing that in the moment. That is something that I have a much harder time remembering to do as we are playing than afterwards. So I do promise to be better about that as we go forward. But XP serves two things. One, you can spend it on things. You can spend spend one XP to re-roll. You can spend two XP to like get immediate minor effect. Like you can try and influence something in the moment. There are ways that you can have player intrusions the same way that I can have GM intrusions that I can offer. The players can spend an XP to have their player intrusions. Uh, and it's usually something in the moment happens that is really beneficial to them or they remember something or they find something that will help out in the moment. But XP is also spent on advancing your character. There are technically six tiers that you can go through. Each tier is made up of four advancements. Those advancements cost four XP a piece. So every time you get four XP, you can take an advancement. If you have four XP and no advancements and you're still at tier one, level one, so to speak, The first time you get 4XP and you want to spend that on an advancement, you can pick a number of things. You can add plus 4 to one particular pool to any stat. You can add plus 1 to your edge. You can add plus 1 to your effort. You can give yourself a new skill or take a skill you already have and make it better. So if you have an inability, you can get rid of that inability. If you're already trained in something, you can make yourself specialized to... Again, help further decrease a task difficulty. You can add plus two to your recovery roll, or you can take a new special ability as per your type. So you could take like a new trick of the trade for Jack or fighting move, fighting maneuver for Glaive. And I do not remember what it is for Delve uh, off the top of my head, unfortunately. I don't remember what the special abilities are called. I used to either. (laughs) Oh, well. The one thing that is listed on there that I haven't mentioned, but that I just don't use is I don't use the cost of wearing armor. There's technically supposed to be a speed negative to wearing armor, but that's just something I never really enacted. So technically that's something you can like reduce the cost of wearing your armor, but that's not something that we really use. Once you get four advancements, you automatically advance to the next tier. And then every time, so basically you spend a total of 16 XP with a number of advancements to to push your character forward in the way that you choose. And then you move on to the next tier. And those tiers have specific things you get too. So like a tier two glaive has a couple more things that are available to them. And sometimes you get special things for your character. I don't remember if it's descriptor or focus, but another part of your sentence often has like an advanced tier option to it as well. So it's a little bit more generalized in the individual advancements, but as you hit the different tiers, they're a little more specialized. So it's not like, all right, level six, you get this because you're this and you get that because you're that. It's you choose what's relevant to your character for the small advancements and then the tiers are the, all right, you're this, you get this, you're that, you get that. And it also, I think, because you were mentioning, Bridget, it also pushes the little bit of difference in how characters are useful in in particular ways. So like, yeah, smaller and through four points into smaller and 
intellect pretty quickly. But Nehemiah has put a lot into recovery and effort and edge to, mm-hmm. and th- and I feel like that's very yeah poignant to the character. Absolutely. Yeah, because like looking back at all my tier one advancements, like Smallern gave herself a might edge because her might pool is small. So that can maximize whatever added plus four to intellect, took on persuasion as a skill. And then I had a new special ability, which was something specific to Jack. Jack, yeah, because you can take a new trick of the trade. Yeah. Um, And so I did that for my final advancement before moving to tier two. Yeah. And honestly, what I'll probably end up doing is have you guys advance to tier three before the beginning of season two, just because I know most of you are pretty close to that. And and it's that play, again, of the instant gratification of being able to use the XP in the moment versus saving it to level up for a longer lasting benefit. But if I spend the XP, I can't use it to level up. <laughs> and that's that's the... Yeah, the, the eternal question, and in the same way, the eternal question of whether or not you're spending points from your pool. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. all right. I need to try and make this easier, but if I get hit another time, that's less of a buffer before I, you know, get hurt. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that constant trade-off, that constant decision that needs to be made within this system when you're playing. Is like, do I do a thing now or save it for later? Do I give right. myself a buffer or make sure that this particular thing happens? Yeah, short-term gains versus long-term investment. Yeah. And there were moments where I seriously considered, because I have the player intrusion old friend where somebody from my past shows up. And there were moments in this last arc where we were in the tumult where I seriously consider it's like, one, that would be really useful to have an old friend. But two, how the hell (laughs) are Zan and I going to explain what is almost certainly like an old quote unquote acrobat buddy <laughs> showing up in the soundscape. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I had ideas because when you got when you all got there, I read through your character sheets again and went, all right, which ones of these are going to be the ones that I couldn't necessarily do completely on the fly? So I had ideas. If you had decided okay. to use that, I had ideas. Oh good, <laughs> good. I surprising nobody. <laughs> But yeah, the spending of XP, and it really is just the moment, that clutch Mm -hmm. moment of what's the best option for it. I don't think we need to talk about ciphers and artifacts, honestly. I feel like that's pretty... That's pretty self-explanatory. And and we talk, we we use them so much during the game. I don't think that's... Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we'll skip over that. I am very Um, curious as to what what god I'm going to unleash when that finally comes out. (laughs) We'll see. Oh, boy. I'm sure that's not being held for a plot-relevant moment. <laughs> not at all. Well, that's the basics of the mechanics of the, the Cypher system. Again, not everything in its full glorious detail. If anyone is interested in reading through this, most of the information that we use is found in the player's guide. I also use Numenera Discovery for a lot of my references for that as well. So if you are interested in really getting into the bits and pieces and the nitty-gritty of the Cypher system, go ahead and check those out. They're all very reasonably priced at Monty Cook Games if you want to read through any of them. 
And I'm also always happy to answer questions on Discord. If anyone really has a burning question about the mechanics of something, happy to have a conversation there. Would love to facilitate that. But uh, for the basics and how we use the system, that's that's a pretty good overview. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, mm-hmm. players, for having the conversation. Of course. And thank you for continuing to play this uh, very fun and uh, wonderful game with me. Yeah. Oh, thank, you for thank you for running it for us. Of course. I think that's just where we're gonna end. Hey, hey, you know what? I'm really bad at outros. It's fine. <laughs> Guys, I got this. <laughs> okay. Coming to you from the sound space. We'll see you again next time in the meat space. <laughs> no! <laughs> Yay! Well, that's what it's gonna be now. And we're <sighs> done. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to episode 75 of Imprinted Echoes. As stated previously, we're going to take a month break before releasing season two. This gives us time to take a little bit of a breather and make sure all of our preparations are in place. It is our hope to have the premiere for season two released to you on the second Sunday in September. In the meantime, we'll post some clues as to the title and content of that upcoming season. So keep an eye on our Twitter and the GLM Discord if you're a patron. So with that in mind, if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Imprinted Echoes and our website at imprintedechoes.com. On the website, you can find links to the Ghostlight Media merch store and our Patreon if you're able to help us out monetarily. At just the lowest level of patronage, you'll be able to get access to our Discord and be a part of all of the ridiculous conversations happening there. I hope you'll join us. And on that note, I would like to thank our patrons, Christina, Tyler, and Everett, for their support. If you'd like to help us out in other ways, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating and review, and tell a friend about the show. As always, you can find our hosts on Twitter, myself at Covered in Sawdust, Chase at TQ Loudly, Rin at Rin underscore Moran, and Bridget at Really Bridget. And be sure to follow our network, Ghostlight Media, at GLM Pods. Thanks once again for listening, and I hope you'll be back in a little while to hear a very new episode of Imprinted Echoes. And until then, may your ciphers never malfunction. Imprinted Echoes is produced by Zan Campbell-Johannes and Chase Greenley, and is edited by Alex Berkowitz. Original show theme music is by Justin Longacre. This has been a Ghost Light Media production.